Randall off from distance, off of Johnson's hands and in. Randall Leal from long distance. We're level in Toronto. Nashville draws in Toronto to tie its club record of nine matches undefeated. You just heard Randall Leal's goal assisted by Sean Johnson's uh, palms to tie the match <laughs> in the 69th minute at courtesy of 104.5 The Zone. Uh, Tim, I'm back. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in the respective disciplines. No, we're not this time talking about Braden Gall. We're talking, <laughs> in my case, about West Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan. I have not left North America in the past week and a half, so uh, I'm still here, folks. Sorry. I was not hanging out with autocrats. Sorry, uh, much to the dismay of Braden, who accused me of that on the last show. <laughs> I, I did, however, swim in a pool in Finland, and I kept on swearing I saw Sana Marin, the soon-to-be uh, former prime minister of Finland, and that was going to be a very exciting moment. Uh, but it was not her, I think. I think it was a nanny with three kids. Um, Basically like, the same thing. But one <laughs> of the kids... Is Finland <laughs> and uh, Finland has uh, has filed for emancipation from here. For, uh, <laughs> to continue the uh, <laughs> the analogy, it's a great trip for work though. It was uh, we have a factory in Romania, so never thought I'd get to go to Romania. Before we get into the show, Tim, I will say again, soccer is the universal language, and we know this, but it's always so much fun to have that conversation topic when you're somewhere else. And you don't necessarily have a lot of, you know, directly in common with with people to be able to talk about. Uh, in our case, you know, Nashville SC, um, the Portland Timberland. He called the Timbers, but hey, I'll take it. Love their work. Love their work on uh, on Nelly Furtado's second album. <laughs> Too late to apologize. That was Timbaland too, right? Were they on yes, that? Yes, it was. It was, it was. is Timbaland feet one republic? Uh, are we outing ourselves as big Timbaland heads here? Is that Apparently, two thousand eight. However, for Nashville SC, Tim, it was not too late to equalize, and that's what they did Dang. against uh, Toronto. And, and it was funny because it was not a well played match for Nashville. I think they would say mm. that. Gary Smith said that. We'll hear him say that in a minute. But on those nights when you don't have your best, you have to find a way to get a result. And on the road, a point, even against a lackluster Toronto team with some issues, is an okay result, especially considering that after struggling early, Nashville took the front foot. They had the upper hand in the second half, and they salvaged something out of a dismal match. Yeah, and it's a situation that you're going to have those. Uh, it's a 34-game regular season, and you are going to have games where you come out a little bit flat. It's going to happen. It happened to Nashville and, um, you know, against a, a really talented team. We forget that teams are, are talented when they're playing poorly. But I think when you look back at, at this match, it's it's not going to be a disappointment. The fact that you already only got one point against them at home is going to be a disappointment. But in the long run, um, you know, the way a season plays out, that's going to happen here. But before we get into the match, uh, something far more important than soccer, of course, our community lost one of our own um, this past uh, weekend. Ben Cowherd passed away. Um, in an automotive accident, uh, a very active, passionate member of this supporters group, uh, somebody who we each, of course, knew, uh, drummer with the Backline Supporters Collective, member of the Assembly, Nashville SC, um, diehard for a long time, dating back before the MLS days. And before we go anywhere in this show, I thought it was appropriate to give our love to his family and to the Nashville SC and Nashville soccer families. An unthinkable uh, moment and uh, we send our love uh, to, mm -hmm. to to everyone who knew Ben and those who didn't but who were still impacted by his presence in this community 
Yeah, in an American Outlaws member as well. Um, I actually sat with him for the for the most recent U.S. Men's National Team game in uh, in Nashville. Um, it's it's not going to be the same without him, and it it sucks. <laughs> it really sucks when we lose somebody, um, and especially when it's somebody who was as good of a dude as as Ben. And it's it it doesn't feel real. It really doesn't, and I don't I don't know that it will anytime soon. We saw love from the club, of course, as well. Um, Ian Air uh, shared a love of, of uh, motorcycling with uh, with Ben and and talked about that. And, I mean, you know, we we will always give love when when someone is lost, and that's the way our society works. But you you can tell with the effusive praise and just the um, overwhelming love that's being given here that Ben truly was incredibly special to so many people and. So, you know, we'll talk soccer because that's what the mandate of this podcast is. But once again, life uh, intersects. And in this case, uh, such a sad, sad tragedy. So our love to to Ben, to his family and to each of you uh, as we all uh, cope and grapple with uh, with this terrible loss. Uh, we'll, we'll go to soccer now. There's no easy segue away from that. Uh, but we'll get into the match and we'll do so in honor of, of Ben and in, in memory of Ben uh, today. We'll try to bring joy. Uh, and and Tim, I think a point in Toronto again, that's okay. The point at home against Toronto was less so in a lackluster scoreless draw. And when you look at the sum total, I think it's totally reasonable to be disappointed with two points against a Toronto team who has made headlines primarily this year for its off-field and on-field lack of chemistry. They're a <laughs> mess. And I think not getting at least one win against these guys is going to go down as a disappointment. Yeah, I, I think that's the the point right there. Is it's easy to look at either of the individual results and say, eh, no big deal, it happens." As I already have in this podcast about about Saturday evening's result, but when you take them in tandem, it's it's just not enough points against a bad team. If you want to compete for the supporter shield, as as we'll have some discussion of later in this episode, yet again, <laughs> but uh, you you can't you can't only take two points against Toronto FC, and for the second time in a row, and he. He hasn't done a lot of it against other teams, but Bob Bradley was really content to scrape out a result or, or potentially nick a winner, as he uh, certainly thought that uh, Lorenzo Insigne had done. But Nashville is not a team that's built to to steal three points when the opponent wants to just sit there and, and pack it in. And, and maybe that's exactly why Bob has done it, because he knows that, hey, if we're a little conservative with it, Nashville is, is at some point going to shift to conservatism in, over the course of a match as well. And and we can kind of ride out a draw against these guys. And unfortunately, it's, it's now worked for him twice this year. Yeah, it's funny. I think if Nashville is a less defensively disciplined team, Bob probably opens up the match a little bit more and it probably allows Nashville more opportunity. So you can almost say, I guess, that it's a it's a matchup issue for Nashville or a, a style issue because, you know, Bob Bradley's teams have not traditionally, as you mentioned, been conservative in their play. They they lack that. And I think have increasingly lacked that uh, going back to the uh, the latter days of LAFC. On the other hand, if you look at the big picture, Nashville sits second in the Supporter Shield race. Um and uh, four points so far this month, which starts its toughest road stretch of the season. Of course, the three big wins in Dallas that you and Braden so wonderfully talked about last week, the point in Toronto. Uh, when we looked at the five matches this month, four of which are on the road, you forecast six points as a baseline expectation. I said eight. Either way, they're at four. They're not quite halfway through. So my uh, deep understanding of math tells me that this team is on schedule uh, with a fairly favorable home match against St. Louis win that and they've already surpassed your total and they're on the way to surpassing mine. Decent month so far. I think if you can, again, average at this point, two points a game on the road, you're doing something that you need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you mentioned the St. Louis match, they, they eat four leaf clovers for breakfast and, and have all the benefits of doing so. So you don't want to count any chickens before they're hatched, but 
um, it, as it relates to Nashville SC's kind of month-long predictions that we're always asked to give at the beginning of each month. I keep going conservative, and, and so far, NSC has met or exceeded expectations, I think, every time uh, we've given them. So from that, from that perspective, it's something that they're on pace to do so far. And uh, Knock on wood, they, they meet or exceed the pace as they've said it already. And for those of you who are going vegan, I mean, I think four leaf clovers for breakfast, much healthier than Lucky Charms, probably, you know, mm-hmm. well, Lucky Charms more. probably aren't vegan because they probably have gelatin in them. I don't right. know. I'll look when we get off there. Well, that's what Very I'm saying. So you can convert <laughs> over to the actual four leaf clovers themselves, still get the same amount of luck. The sourcing, though, is the problem. I think that yeah. the prices are high. Um, uh, you can make you can make marshmallows without gelatin in them, and it wouldn't surprise me if the General Mills Corporation or whoever makes Lucky Charms uh, was doing so. But uh, it's a research project for another day. And by the way, something oh, else. I mean, slightly later today. Slightly, we're going to look this up. But what else? You know what else? Is I have different? I have Lucky Charms marshmallows. Just the marshmallows, not even the box of, of cereal. I'm going to go look right after we're done recording. They're pretty delicious. You should check that out. Uh, by the way, uh, Oreos also vegan. Uh, my wife and I went vegan for like two weeks just to see if we could do it. I ate nothing but Oreos. It was not a healthy. So this is a good diet. This was a good diet for you. It was to go vegan. <laughs> very healthy. Very healthy. And I, one time I got a quesadilla without the quesa, without the, without the, uh, the cheese. And the um, person making my uh, quesadilla was very confused. Like you've, you've skipped the fundamental element of the dish. This is just a dia and that's nothing. Um, anyway, we, we digress. Uh, today's episode, primarily a mailbag edition. We will talk in the early shout just a little bit about a couple gold nuggets and about the Toronto match. And then we're going to move on to your questions, of which there were many. But first, Tim, uh, a story for you. Several years ago, there was a horrific earthquake in Italy, in the Parma region of Italy. This is an apocryphal story. I believe it may be accurate, but it might just be apocryphal. Um, and the the storage houses of Parmesan cheese uh, were decimated. And so this cheese no longer had a place to be preserved. And there was a famous chef in Italy who came up with a new dish that was going to use as much of that cheese as possible before it was bad. It was called the cacio e pepe, which you may recognize as a pasta dish that's increasingly popular and which ML Rose has made its burger of the month. The cacio e pepe burger, Tim. It sounds absolutely delicious and I have to have it soon. Yeah, man. Every time we, we start talking about the burger of the month, I get really hungry. I just, I uh, pulling back the curtain, I ate lunch right before we recorded and it's still making me really hungry. And that's something that ML Rose seems to have a unique ability to do as we record the podcast during the day on Mondays is, is everything that they put out sounds delicious. But the burger of the month is like, it's just like the, the greatest hits that you could possibly come up with each and every month. And I mean, Braid mentioned it last week that it was his cop mm-hmm. out that he always just gets the burger of the month. That's not a cop out to me. I think that showcases the variety. That's why it's the place. burger of the month because That's it's it. special. Yeah. That's it. And I'm going to read you the, the description here all natural peppercorn crusted beef patty, the pecorino romano spread, arugula, peppercorn aioli, drizzle of olive oil on a toasted French baguette with a side of waffle fries. Are you kidding me? That is. All European right there. That that burger's going straight to Europe. It's not even going to be in Nashville long. It's going straight to Europe to compete at the big time. It's going to hang out with you. <laughs> Can't, I did not have a good burger in Europe. I, thought, I actually uh, was on a, a ferry from uh, Helsinki to Estonia, and there was one uh, restaurant there. It was a Burger King, and they served beer. I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to have a burger. So I did have a burger at Burger King, not a sponsor, and there's a reason they're not a sponsor. I'm even mentioning them by name because they're not a threat to uh, be <laughs> for any of you. They're not really in the same market. <laughs> not so much. They are uh, the, not even the burger prince, really. More like the burger peasant. Uh, so they, 
Gaccio e Pepe uh, definitely going to beat that and definitely going to be my choice when I get back to town. As, by the way, if you hear the audio a little off this week, I'm actually in D.C. for some more meetings. Back to my lovely podcast mic next week. So ML Rose, 8th Avenue location, West Nashville, Capitol View, Mount Juliet, more to come. Check them out before Nashville SC's match against St. Louis. Here's Gary Smith. We were not positive enough, not forceful enough, not in all fairness for a team that's been on a good run. We didn't we didn't look confident in trying to break lines. It, it was all a little bit laboured to build up, and I think that was in part due to Toronto dropping off quickly and deeply towards the halfway line. They kept very, very tight, compact lines, and a lot of our possession was in front of them in that first period. Now, that, that can be for all sorts of different reasons. I'm guessing they wanted to try and keep those lines tight to limit Hanny's work and ability to get on the ball, and I thought they did a good job in, in achieving that. But the conversation at the break was about moving the ball quicker, occupying spaces that were tougher to, to deal with, and actually improving the connections and the quality of our play because there were far too many moments, even in reasonable positions, in possession or counter-attacking, that we squandered the ball far too cheaply. But I, I did think that the second half, the, the calibre of play improved as the game went on. And, and I also thought that the, the substitutes made a hell of a difference in the way that the team ended up, um, you know, ultimately getting a point out of the game. No segue there, just straight to Gary, talking about how this team, Tim, was not forceful enough in the match against Toronto. And so I guess that's the question that I have. This is a Nashville team that's been decent on the road lately. Of course, they beat Dallas thanks to a nice mistake. They draw Toronto based <laughs> based on a nice mistake. But they've been great overall this season. How can they come out flat against a Toronto team that's been characterized by turmoil? Is it a matchup issue? Is it kind of what you referred to earlier with how Bob mm -hmm. Bradley chooses to play against Nashville? Or was this just an off night, which is going to happen a few times each season? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of all of the above, right? <laughs> um, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't watch the game live. I was, I was visiting friends out of town. So when I sat down for the first time, I already knew what the result was going to be. I'm not somebody who avoids spoilers in these situations. But um, it... it I, watching it, I wasn't really that upset with how it played out. Um, Toronto wanted to sit back, and, and they were they were pretty defensively focused and let you know try and let our, our attacking line guys do what they do. And Nashville SC fans might find that familiar with a little bit more transition mixed in. But um, Toronto also played Richie Larea at center back, and some of that was out of necessity because Matt Hedges has been out for a long time. Some of it is. Um, simply a matter of putting a, fa a fast guy who's normally a fullback there to clean up a bunch of messes. And that was most of what Richie Larea did. So they hope they get a miracle to take a lead and that happened. But I think the shot numbers are what have people really, really down on the Nashville SC performance. And some of that was just was just Toronto firing away with, with very little chance of, of hitting it. And um, if you fire away enough times uh, on low XG shots, maybe you're one of your designated players is going to hit an absolute worldie, but I mean, it is a situation where I think if the jerseys were reversed and the game played out basically the exact same way, I think Nashville SC fans would still be upset because I don't think Toronto was that dominant either. It just kind of felt like a dismal match because of the result, because of what Toronto looks like in the table right now um, compared to what they looked like on the field on Saturday. Evening. 15 shots for Toronto compared to nine for Nashville. And yet still the boys in gold to your point, put more on target 
uh, than did Toronto. Many of their shots blocked, a lot of them very speculative in nature. And of course, the one goal was on a very low XG chance from Lorenzo Insigne. I think that also, Tim, a source of frustration that a guy like Shaq Moore, who was brought in for one-on-one defending as well as his attacking ability and has been exceptional as mm-hmm. a one-on-one defender in that moment gives just an acre, not not an acre, sorry, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to say, just a glimpse of daylight. Just a hectare. A hectare. I, don't, I don't know how big that is. I think it's smaller than an acre. Though. It's actually bigger, I think. But in this case, neither <laughs> gives a patch of grass of daylight. I, I, I honestly, as I rewatch it, I know it's frustrating to give up that goal. I, I have a hard time being too hard on Shaq yeah. there. I mean, he's a half step slow, all right? We, we agree with that. But... Part of that Cincinnati just being a really world-class player once or twice per match mm-hmm. in MLS. Yeah, and, and it's important to keep in mind that a hectare is actually 2.471 acres. As we both knew, we were just letting the, the listeners come to it by themselves. Of course, of course. But um, that 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 goal also came after a center-back change, a forced change for Nashville SC. And it didn't have a huge impact on the rest of the game. But in terms of chemistry, Shaq might have different expectations before the sub. Lucas McNaughton replaced by Josh Bauer due to injury. That those are the sorts of things that, in games with tiny margins, can make a difference. And yes, it's it's on Shaq. It's not on Josh Bauer there. I would say primarily. But you know what you what you don't really know is what Shaq is expecting out of his teammate, and what he you know suddenly can't expect or doesn't think he's able to expect. It's a weird situation when you have to make that forced change that um you know i don't want to excuse it for Shaq because he should close down a guy who you know exactly what he's going to do he's going to cut onto that right foot and he's going to shoot from a, a stupid long angle or a stupid long distance and stupid angle and he's going to have a chance to put it in so i don't want to completely excuse what Shaq does but you kind of understand some of what goes into maybe not feeling the urgency to close it down in that situation as well because you might think he has help and he might think i'm um, is going to shoot after those into the stands, as he often does. <laughs> as he very often does. And then he walks away and doesn't defend. Uh, Nashville, though, has not been great against Toronto. This is the latest example of that. The boys in gold have beaten Toronto just twice in seven meetings. A gold nugget today. That's the second lowest win ratio among teams that Nashville has played five times or more. By the way, the best win ratio against uh, or among those teams. Montreal, four wins and six, zero losses for Nashville against uh, the Frenchman. Tim, these are missed opportunities. First one, uh, first win against Toronto was historic. That was great. That probably counts double because it gets you to the next round in a game where you are not favored to win. But since then, every time they've played, TFC has not been a playoff team in that season. They won't be this year again, I, 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 would, I would suspect. Uh, these numbers should be better, shouldn't they? What's the deal with Nashville against Toronto? Yeah, I mean, they should be better. Yes, it's it really is that simple. Uh, part of it is that, Toronto is the sort of team where they're 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 put together very poorly. I don't think I'm breaking any news here. But when you have talents like Lorenzo Insigne, like Federico Bernardeschi, who I believe scored two in that annoying uh, draw last year, or, or what did it end up being a loss? I don't even remember. Yeah. I was I was yeah, I was uh, yeah I was doing something <laughs> something else with the tweets for that game. So, um, but uh, it is a situation where they have the sort of talent that they can kind of you know escape with escape with not being a well put together team. And we have Bob Bradley, I think you have a coach who understands the weaknesses of his team and understands what what probably the maximum he can get out of a game against your team is and is willing to um you know kind of take his medicine and accept as as little as he's going to get from that match. And, and when that happens, uh, even a bad team can can end up with a point. So we're used to Nashville having issues with Toronto, but the true man bites dog story, uh, if you will, in this one was Hani Mukhtar being kept off the score sheet. His first match 
uh, without a goal or an assist uh, since the DC United draw on the road. It's five straight matches that he had been on the score sheet. Just the second time that's happened in the last 10 games. And that's news, I guess. But Timmy very easily could have scored just before Leal's equalizer had a shot cleared off the line. Did take three shots, have two of them on target. Um, only once this season has he gone consecutive matches without a goal or an assist. So I'm going to ask you to handicap it. And I want a number here. The percentage likelihood that Hani is involved in a goal or assist this weekend against St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, this, we've talked multiple times already about how Toronto's style is specifically designed to make sure Nashville SC doesn't score and, and specifically designed to make sure Hani didn't score on Saturday evening. St. Louis is kind of the opposite. <laughs> their, their press is designed to let opponents get on the counter and, and hope that they don't make those shots. And um, New York Red Bulls are the same way. And Nashville has had problems putting those shots on target when they have played against the Red Bulls. So the, the trick is, is paying it off. And Nashville hasn't done that against Red Bulls. They haven't had a chance yet against St. Louis. So I wouldn't doubt uh, an informed Mukhtar, uh, regardless of not getting on the score sheet on Saturday night, to, to pay it off a little bit. And so I will say a 60% chance he at least gets on the scoreboard. And I'll go 70. I am that good. 70%. That was the number I already had in my head before you gave 60. So I'll uh, I'll go with that. I think it happens. And uh, if, if it doesn't happen, it's going to be a big disappointment unless Randall Leal uh, scores again and, and Nashville beat St. Louis. And so we're going to get to St. Louis now. Uh, they're top of the table in the West after a, a disappointing uh, late equalizer by LA Galaxy uh, in St. Louis. But they've been great this year, uh, at least in the table. You, however, have been a critic, uh, a, a consistent critic of St. Louis. I don't disagree with you, but I'm going to let you make your argument here. Why is it that you believe that St. Louis's quality is far below what the table tells us at this point, which has them, of course, top of the West? In the middle of the pack in expected goals terms, and they're the, the second best team in the league behind only Nashville when you look at actual goals rather than just expected goals in terms of adjusting for opponents and um, people who have read the power ratings and my, my very tortured explanation for them will, will get what I'm getting at there. But I mean, that alone is, is often 22 type, 2022 type stuff. They, they were much better on this, on the uh, table than they were actually on the field. And um, secondly, for St. Louis, especially look at how they've come across a lot of that expected goals. Um, Nashville, I don't think Nashville SC has ever had a goal directly from a, a, a back pass from a center back to a Nashville SC striker. I'm um, getting two of them in a season is, is extremely unlikely. And they've had five chances St. Louis has from a center back passing it to a St. Louis City SC forward. And yes, some of that is because of the style that they play, but a lot of it is just simple luck. That's just not going to continue <laughs> happening. Um, and you know, it doesn't invalidate what they've already done, but in terms of projecting it into their uh, future matches or or to kind of determine their actual overall quality, I think they're overrated on the basis of, of a lot of really, really good luck. And we've seen some regression to the mean, I think, here in recent uh, in recent matches, including that draw against Galaxy where they looked like they were headed toward uh, three points for sure. So it should be very interesting to see what Nashville can do in their first ever matchup against a an expansion team a little bit younger than them in St. Louis. Uh, Tim, moving on now to the mailbag in just a moment, but uh, first, ML Rose. I got to say, once again, after some time abroad, when you get home, I, I love eating weird, crazy food. Uh, weird to me, not weird to the cultures where I visited, of course. Um, had some goose and duck in Hungary. Uh, had some bear, uh, which was interesting. Some elk, some moose, all kinds of meat. But when I get home, 
nothing tastes like home more than a burger. <laughs> it is so refreshing. It's going to be so refreshing once I finally get back to Nashville this weekend to, to sit down and have that burger for the first time. It did just, I mean, whenever you travel, wherever you go, when you get home and you have that burger place that just means a lot to you, isn't that just the best feeling to have that first bite of a juicy burger and think, ah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's important to have the, the food that's familiar, but a big part of what makes ML Rose what it is, is that you're having the familiar food and you're having it in a place that is familiar to you as well. And you go there and you, you recognize some of the same people that are working there. You recognize some of the same people that are regulars eating there as well. I, I think both of us have experienced that on multiple occasions, especially at the 8th Avenue South location in the Melrose neighborhood. That's from whence comes the name. You told me the whole story about the rest of it. I don't remember it, but it was a great <laughs> story. Everybody go back and listen. Thank you. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, ML Rose has been so important to us because of the food. Yes, because of the beer, um, even more. Yes, perhaps. <laughs> but because it's a place that that is when you get off the road, when you get back from Estonia or whatever, wherever the heck you're going west, that you you feel like you're home again once you set foot in ML Rose. And it can feel like you never left, too. I'm telling you, it feels really good to be home. Hey, look at that. Yeah, it's the capital of Estonia, folks, for those who don't uh, aren't experts in the pun game. I also wish I'd had a little bit more uh, on my stomach before hitting the town in Tallinn and uh, ML Rose would have taken care of that for sure. A uh, lot of, a lot of, um, it, there's nightlife in Estonia. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a happily married man. The nightlife was basically me just drinking a lot of random drinks and then going back and sleeping. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> a burger would have helped me handle that experience just that much better. As we go to uh, the mailback now and start with Ryan Wilson looking ahead at the St. Louis match. Uh, since we just did that, we'll start with his question. He says, outpossess St. Louis at home or muck it up with them and count on Hani to settle it. St. Louis is going to muck it up. That's what they do. They rank last mm -hmm. in Major League Soccer in possession. For those of you who are trying to pin a style on them, it's not hard. They're basically... New York Red Bulls, but with a little more attacking flair. So they're, they're, Bradley Carnell, their manager, was part of the Red Bull system. He came from there. Uh, and uh, he's been very skilled, I think, Tim, at creating a, a you know heavy pressing setup uh, you know that also knows how to finish and and can combine once they get the ball, especially at home. That's a very oppressive way to play. Uh, thank goodness for Nashville. They don't have to go to St. Louis and play in that in that great atmosphere. But I would say this is still a tough matchup for Nashville when you look back at you know previous opponents that play similarly. And I mean especially New York Red Bulls and Philadelphia. Nashville's never beaten Red Bulls. They usually draw them. Uh, and uh, Philadelphia, they beat once at home a couple of years ago, but but generally, of course, have not had great results against Union either. So Tim, I say Nashville's going to lead possession. Uh, that's That's a given, even though Nashville doesn't usually do that. But how do they beat the press? How do they get their goal against the St. Louis team that offers a little more variety of scheme than their brother in New York? Yeah, I don't think Nashville is going to be in position to play like capital T, B, G, the beautiful game for 90 minutes. And that's particularly with Anibal Godoy on international duty with Panama. And one of the better passing center backs uh, on the team, Walker Zimmerman, is on international duty with the United States. Um, he, he might be back uh, depending on, or either of them may be back depending on how the Nations League semifinals go. I don't know what the schedule is for the for the teams that lose. And there might be a third place game actually. Really should have looked this up, but <laughs> I think when you play against a team that that wants you to wants to either force you to play through them and do it with a high level of technical precision, 
that's not going to be Nashville's game. They're going to possess it, but they're also going to be able to, to boot it long. And when you play against a team like this, you have chances to counter. Nashville's going to get the ball to Honey's feet and let him run at central midfielders and center backs. We've seen him do it against teams that are far less press heavy than, than St. Louis City SC is going to be. So there's not as much value as trying to, in trying to pass through it when you have the speed and skill that Nashville does up top. And it is going to be what I mentioned previously, which is, you have to take advantage of the opportunities that you get because you are going to get those opportunities. And then you have to not create opportunities for St. Louis because they're going to rely on you to make it for them. Yeah. And that's the tough part when teams do force you to take the upper hand of Nashville has succeeded in the past uh, in certain instances doing that. You look at the Miami home match, but they've also struggled uh, against teams like Toronto and Cincinnati who forced Nashville to do that thing. Although again, uh, you know, different, different styles in those cases. I think if Nashville can score in the first 30 minutes, they win this thing by multiple goals. If they can't score by halftime, frustration st- could start to add up and, and they're going to have to rely on some individual moments rather than, as you've said, you know, cohesive soccer. They're probably not going to get to play uh, in this game. Uh, Nashville SC stats with Leal scoring and with wheels run of form dropping off. Do you think Leal will start or deserves to start next week? I think it's always been the plan for Randall once he's finally 90 minutes fit to to get some starts. But what do you think, Tim? Yeah, I don't think he will start, but I don't also don't think it has a whole lot to do with Alex Muel either. I mean, Leal's absence from the starting lineup is, is pretty strictly because he's not close enough to 90 minute fit yet. He doesn't need to be able to go 90 minutes, but he needs to be able to go like 74 minutes or whatever. Um, he's one of the first names on the team sheet when he's fully healthy. He just hasn't been fully healthy yet this year since since the opener, basically. Um, given the form of the team without him or or when he's come off the bench, as he did on Saturday night, there's not really a need to rush him back either. You can get enough out of Alex Wheel or, or whoever else you put back there um, as, as one of those shuttling middle fielders in the diamond. Um, I think it's a, a kind of a tailor-made role for Leal, but... Uh, if you're playing well, even without him there, he's he's kind of a luxury good right now. And as soon as he's fully healthy, he'll be a guy that you plug right in and, and get a lot out of. Can't wait to see it. And even though Leal's goal was not exactly fully attributable to Leal <laughs> because of Sean Johnson's gap, it's exactly the formula that Nashville wants mm-hmm. to follow. That long distance shooting, which then is going to force defenders to collapse around him. It's going to open up the vertical avenues for people like Hani Mukhtar to run through. Love that model for Nashville and, and hope that he's going to be healthy enough for the boys and gold to employ it soon. Speaking of speedy uh, forward slash wings, Daniel Louise, think there are any chances of a consistent run of Fafa and Schaffelberg starting on the wings with Hani in the 10 and a solid hold up play striker? Tim. Yeah, it would take a formation change. Like I just mentioned, I think, um, you know, Leal is a guy who's a really good fit as a shuttler. Um, I don't think that's the right role for Fafa or Schaffelberg. So you'd have to see a shift to either a kind of more of a true 4-4-2 style or a 4-2-3-1. And that would, that would plug Hani in at the 10. This Nashville FC team has done a lot of different things over the course of, of their tenure in Major League Soccer. Two strikers up top has actually been pretty rare until this season. It's been something that they've gone to as a changeup or when they've had an odd back line. So I do think they're really happy with what they're getting out of it. And that's one of Fafa or Schaffelberg playing alongside a striker for the most part. You, you, you don't want to um, you kind of have to shoehorn another um, striker in there. So uh, I, I think if you, unless you want to take Hani out of a, a number 10 role or play those guys out of position, um, play multiple of those guys out of position or change formations. So there's just too many factors that you need to kind of mm-hmm. alter a little bit to figure out a way to get both of them onto the field. I, I, I do think the 4 one would be a good fit for it. I think it makes more sense um, the way Nashville has been playing to say we have speed in the starting lineup and then we have a similarly speedy cut guy coming off the bench, whether that's 
Fafa for Schaffelberg or Schaffelberg for Fafa, you have kind of a like-for-like player that you can bring off the bench. And those guys are complementary to each other, you know, as, as a like-for-like replacement more so than being on the field together. Yeah, and, you know, veterans mean versatility. And so Nashville can switch between these formations with a little less changing cost, I guess, because they have guys who are used to playing <laughs> all kinds of different ways. So certainly is is a... Uh, is is a tool that is available to Nashville if they choose to to go that route and that was the point of bringing in Fafa and Schaffelberg is to lend them that versatility to change if they needed to Christopher Price so many bangers in MLS this past week what's the hit rate on long-range strikes discuss the balance between taking ambitious strikes and frustrating your teammates by wasting scoring opportunities with misses who's the best and worst in this department I love this question it's uh, it, we can take it as deep or as shallowly as we want. Maybe it's one of those where we have to come back with some numbers another time. But but I will say this, uh, just just so you understand the the statistical context of a shot like Randall Leal's, it carried an xG tally of just under zero point two, and even that I feel like is generous. Yeah, it feels really high for a shot from outside really the box. That was from the yeah. game flow metrics right after the match. I, I would have even said point eight, point or sorry, point zero eight, point one. Uh, like it was it was way out. Um, and right at the keeper. So I, I'd be interested to see those numbers revised, but, but it, just taking those numbers, you know, at face value, that would mean just under a 20% chance of scoring from that distance. Again, not, not going to say that's a very accurate number. <laughs> I look back at that, but just to define what that looks like. And in terms of the balance between those speculative strikes and then combining, I think Tim, especially in a match where Nashville had not cobbled together many effective sequences of passing, when Randall Al is a proven guy who can uncourt from that distance, he's got the green light to do that anytime. Yeah. As opposed to a Sean Davis, perhaps, or, you know, somebody like that. And all respect in the world to Sean, you know, I think it, it can open up opportunities for you, even if you're you're hitting it into Lake Ontario, uh, but, yeah. but much more when you're actually putting it close to the target. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that some guys who you wouldn't expect to, to hit those long-range bangers, Alex Muil, Ani Bogatoy, have them on their resume for oh, Nashville SC. Yeah, so absolutely. that's something to keep in mind, too, that there's value in it. But um, if we're talking about the, the true bangers, uh, obviously the one that many people are thinking about is Lucas Delarayans from inside his own half, uh, basically at the buzzer uh, to beat Chicago Fire. That was a, a 1.92, so point. Zero two essentially. So so Randall's shot was considered ten times as likely to go in, which is incredible. Um, and those those half field shots are a little inflated because basically they aren't taken unless the keeper's out anyway. So so keep that in mind. It's probably even lower than that if if it was a shot that guys were just taking in the run of play. But in terms of in terms of the hit rate on those sorts of things, uh, like you mentioned, Wes, that is definitely a research question. That is that is one we'll have to come back to because there's there's a lot of a lot going that goes into that that will that we'll have to come back and look at. But um, I, well, one thing I, w- I do want to point out, and I think it's part of what Nashville has been missing without Randall Ayala, is there are benefits of long shots that that sometimes people don't take into account if the shot doesn't go in. Like it can go in, um, but also you force the defense to step out to you and, and play a little bit more honest defensively and that opens up space whether that's for a guy like Hani Mukhtar who's charging in from the midfield or a true striker whether that you know a center back has to step to you so you don't take that shot and that gives Teal Bunbury the opening to to run on to a slipped pass or something like that um I think you know the lack of Randall Leal is part of what has made Hani and Mukhtar's slaloming runs through that last line of defense even more impressive all all this year because there hasn't been a guy that they think okay we need to make sure that he doesn't get open it's it's kind of like when you have an elite three-point shooter in basketball it makes the the driving to the hoop a little bit easier for your point guard but the other advantage of of those long shots is is they get 
spilled a lot. They're not going to be clean catches all the time. And yes, a clean catch doesn't always mean that one of the best keepers in the league basically chucks it into his own net for you, but it can mean that there are rebound opportunities for your teammates, whether that's a, a kind of a poaching type striker like Teal Bunbury. If that shot gets spilled, there can be somebody there to to go in and knock it in maybe. And that's something that um, it doesn't really kind of reflect in the in the benefits of the stat for a guy like Randall Leal, but uh, you know, creating a high XG chance through through forcing a keeper to spill a shot really helps as well. Wesley Bryant with a question that many of you are likely asking. What's happening on Tuesday? And just to refer to the source of his question, Nashville is going to hold a, a, quote, special announcement at Geodas Park, 2.30 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday. So many of you may have already uh, you know, seen what this is before uh, you listen to us. Tim, I think uh, based on the cast of characters involved here, uh, John Ingram, as well as as Mike Jacobs planning to uh, to, to speak, um, I, I, it seems to me like it's going to be a roster announcement that's mm-hmm. probably not a DP striker just based on the timing. Of yeah, the right. Yeah. The window. yeah. So I, I, I'm guessing it is a, you know, a, a roster announcement because of the, the lead in to the announcement. It's not going to be a trade, obviously. So then that leaves yeah. us with roster announcement. Player <laughs> being signed. goes to Geodas Park. And it's, we've acquired $275,000 in camp for an international <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, reading the tea leaves there as, as you laid them out, that's right. It's, it's going to be an exciting announcement. It's probably not going to be something that uh, is super impactful to the team this year. Um, anything that's going to be super impactful to the team this year is either going to be uh, a DP striker, which likely does not come until the until the window reopens on July 5th. Um, but it's going to be something that's that's going to be exciting for the for the future of the of the franchise. Obviously, from the technical side, as you mentioned, Mike Jacobs going to be there. Probably something that's a little bit more um, kind of uh, big project uh, kind of oriented. It's not going to be something that that changes the fortunes of this team. Um, you know, starting with the, the match against St. Louis this weekend. And you'll be able to get more uh, specific, of course, on that here uh, as you unlearn what that's going to be. Many of you, after <laughs> after you've already seen the announcement, now will be listening to us and saying, I know, I know. And hopefully we don't just look like idiots to you. Um, Logan Elliott. We won't look like idiots. Not this time, We'll not sound this like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and audio medium, we always do. Logan, can you all explain the McNaughton international roster spot a bit more? Was he not holding an international roster spot prior to us? Acquiring one for him is his being born in New York not relevant because he's chosen to represent Canada. Tim, this one's a little bit unclear. Yeah, so I want to answer the last part first, which is uh, who he represents internationally is not is not relevant to his status as an international. It's it's essentially a um, it's a citizenship question, not a not a. Uh, eligibility to play for national teams as FIFA calls it question. So I'm honestly not sure what, what happened to lose him domestic status. He was born in the U S um, like you mentioned. So he should have eligibility for American citizenship. And and when Nashville signed him, they were treating him as a domestic player. As a result, that was kind of what happened a couple of weeks ago when he was kind of weirdly out of, out of the lineup. He didn't travel, but um, evidently that's not squared away. And, and since he's not a homegrown, he actually didn't come up through the TFC Academy. Um, he doesn't qualify for domestic status through Canadian citizenship uh, for a non-Canadian club. Uh, very complicated there, but basically homegrown internationals who, who uh, came up uh, as Canadians can can sign as as domestic players. But I don't know what what fringe case is the issue here. Honestly, I haven't I haven't asked the the factoid is, is just as important. And I would imagine he's going to be 
uh, domestic player by this time next year. So it, it's going to change by then and nothing's going to change. They have accounted for it now. So it is a weird one. I totally agree. And I, I honestly don't know the answer. And I guess if, if people are curious, I can ask for a, a greater level of detail as well. MLS and, and very specifically Nashville SC have a good group of uh, immigration attorneys uh, mm-hmm. that do a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's something I, I wrote in the rundown, but, but since I started freelancing there, I didn't say it. They have not set a foot wrong when it comes to any of these sorts of things before. Yeah. They know exactly how to execute all of the roster mechanisms and, and what they need to do to make it work. So the fact that they kind of were, I don't want to say caught by surprise, but kind of had to go back and revise what they thought about something is, is really a first misstep from that perspective or, or maybe a, a surprise that's perhaps unfair to them. <laughs> Speaking of Canadians, uh, Justin Belial, it would seem our former boy in gold and friend of the podcast, Alistair Johnson, has had an incredible 2023 so far. How would you rate his early career so far? I'm proud of the kid, Tim. Not a bad start to European football for the man. Uh, the uh, league champion in Scotland for Celtic, playing outstanding soccer, starting for them regularly before injury. And even after injury, you saw him raising the crutches high, celebrating with supporters <laughs> for Celtic. And he is a friend of the show. He came on. We asked him about those European aspirations way back in the day. And, and he was pretty clear that he'd love to do that one day. It is fun to see him thriving in Scotland. Yeah, and he was on the podcast like a week before he got traded. It was not long before. <laughs> yeah. No. But no, I'm, I'm super happy for him. He managed to get exactly what he wanted out of that move to, uh, to Montreal. And it's gone about as well for him, like you mentioned, as you could have expected at Celtic injury issues notwithstanding. But uh, from a Nashville perspective, they got a big they got a big payday for him uh, on two occasions. When when Montreal sold him overseas, they were able to get a a, a sell, sell-on percentage as well. And they effectively shed 325k in salary because they didn't need to give him a the $325,000 raise that, that Montreal gave him. So it's worked out for everyone. And I think if there were bad feelings on either side, it, it might not feel as happy for both Nashville SC fans and Alistair Johnston. But uh, since there are no hard feelings, and I think um, if you asked him, you know, what is your MLS team? Who is the team that, that, you know, is, is the one that, that created you? He would probably still say Nashville SC over Montreal, even though he ended up having a lot of success there as well. And that's something that uh, I think Nashville SC fans and administration should be proud of. Yeah. My favorite story from Alistair was when he thought before the world cup qualifier between Canada and the U S that he could take Alfonso Davies and other teammates and walk around Broadway and give them a tour without being noticed. And of course, he very much was noticed, or rather, probably Alfonso was. Uh, and, <laughs> and now, what's great is that, I mean, all these people on Broadway. Is that the weatherman? <laughs> That's it. All these, yes, exactly. <laughs> a little callback for you. Uh, he's got a challenge in Scotland, by the way, with the weather. A lot of, lot of. Uh, uh, let me guess. Gray and rainy is the. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but uh, what's what's great to me is now that he himself cannot probably walk the streets of Glasgow without being without being noticed. He doesn't need Alfonso by his side anymore. Maybe he shouldn't walk around the uh, Protestant area in, uh, in Glasgow. <laughs> uh, Rangers fans might take an uh, unhealthy disliking to him, but uh, yeah. yeah, great, great to see him thriving. Uh, really, really happy. I think that you could make an argument that's Mike Jacobs best uh, find so far is Alistair, mm-hmm. the, you mm-hmm. know, trading up, you know, top 15 draft pick, but basically anonymous. And he, he's, now at a place where he has aspirations maybe to play somewhere even bigger than Celtic. And he's going to be playing Champions League football next year. That's crazy to me. I love that. Uh, Finn says he's curious about our thoughts on Cincy and Austin. He said they seem to be on similar trajectories last season, 
but since he's grown into a shield contender while Austin has fallen back to earth, can you give us some comparisons and thoughts on where they will both end up this year? It's a fun one, Finn. I'll give some some numbers first and then let Tim have at Austin, uh, as he <laughs> loves to do on this show. If you look Let at me cook. Yeah, you're going to cook indeed. And it's going to, you're cooking with Verde. And it's going to be spicy. Um, if you look at the XG numbers this year, Cincinnati is overperforming expectations by just a bit. They're fifth in the East in XG per 90 and an XG differential per 90. But of course, they're first on the table by quite a bit, thanks to a defense that's gotten a little bit lucky. That defense is outperforming um, expected goals against by two and a half so far. Uh, Nashville, by the way, way up in that category. Uh, but since he's allowed fewer goals than anyone but Nashville. I think that defense has been what's driven them because they've had so many close calls, so many 1-0 wins. And uh, you could say that's not sustainable. I think a regression is probably coming because I don't think they can keep relying on those close matches, but they have the defense that's going to uh, raise their floor as well. So even if they regress, I think they're still the favorites for Supporter Shield right now. Um, I, I still think LAFC probably passes them once they get over the CCL mm-hmm. hangover. Uh, but right now, I, I think you have to point to Cincinnati as the favorites, and I don't think they're going to drop from first to fourth. They might drop from first to second in the East. But uh, I think at this point, there's a decent chance, better than half, they're going to finish ahead of Nashville uh, in the final table, uh, which kind of hurts to think about for a Nashville <laughs> supporter. Uh, yeah, we're only halfway through the year. There's time. There's time there's pl- right? There is plenty of time to make up what is, I believe, an eight-point gap. So it's definitely we should have a We should have a listener ask us about that in a moment. But um, <laughs> listen, you, you told me you'd let me talk about Austin. But they, I mean, they were they were bad last year. It really is that simple. They looked good because they were overachieving, whether some of that was luck, whether some of that was um, the individual brilliance of Sebastian Driussi, who was doing something specific to overachieve expected goals on a regular basis. I don't think that was necessarily the case. I think it was mostly luck. Um, some of it was the opening of their stadium that that was so exciting for them, and they they played super well at home a lot of last year. Um, it, that magic has not continued this year. Uh, if you want to say what, what's different about them because they seem the same, I think last year we were very skeptical of Austin in a way that we weren't necessarily of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, we are we're similarly skeptical with St. Louis. Uh, we talked about it already. Um, so keep that in mind, whether that they fall apart over the second half of the year or whether they wait until next year to be terrible. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Austin managed to ride it out and it, it just wasn't sustainable. Um, if you look at opponent adjusted XG terms, again, that's um, going back to the power ratings that I've already mentioned uh, previously, but um, they were number 22 in the league last year. But when it came to conversion, when it came to their opponent adjusted actual goals for and against, they ended up climbing to number four. So that's uh, a ton of luck. Um, this year, they're number 25. Um, so they haven't dropped that much in expected goal terms, but they're no longer ludicrously lucky. They're even still a tiny bit lucky. They're number 24 in actual adjusted goals. So they have moved up a little bit in terms of, of just by one spot in terms of overachieving their expected goals. And they're um, just not having this insane, insanely lucky year like they had last year. Um, and again, Cincinnati was good, not great last year. Um, they were they were a very good team, but they were not overachieving last year. They were they were legit good last year, and they built upon what was already there. And obviously, they've made some changes. But um, adding Matt Miazga halfway through last year has, has gone better than I thought. Honestly, I, I, oh, I don't I don't rate Matt Miazga very much at all. Um, but it is a situation where they made a, a move to shore up the defensive effort, and it has worked. Yeah, since he has a plan now, and when you add. What? Uh, it's since that we know <laughs> no it's not the i miss i miss them right not the, I, exactly I mean, it, it's such a difference right they add one former u.s men's national team center back in jeff cameron 
and we don't want to, we don't have to say how that went. They had another one of Matt Miazga in according in accordance with a plan, and it's amazing what a team with a plan can do in uh, in Major League Soccer. So I'm still skeptical that Miami is going to be really any good, even with Messi, because I think. Messi is the plan. He's not brought in as part of the plan. He is freaking messy. So My, like, Miami, yeah, Miami's Miami's real bad. Uh, he's messy. <laughs> it's not. Right. It's not like it's uh, David Beckham or something. <laughs> they will improve, but even still, yeah. I have questions because of the lack of a cohesive plan. And I think that could yeah. be the ultimate case study. Even adding the best player in the world, yeah. as he is the current best player in the world, might not be enough to get Miami across the playoff line. Yeah, Whereas, yeah I think I, I think I said last week. I don't I don't yeah. remember. You listened to it more recently than I said it. That I think I'm still skeptical that they'll they'll get into the playoffs even yeah. with the, the best player ever to play the game. And <laughs> that's how bad they fans. are. We'll love it. They will relish. They will relish that, and they will revel in it. Um, let's, let's stick on the question of Cincinnati then, as Justin Belial asks, since he's on an incredible run of form, how does Nashville's remaining strength of schedule match up with theirs? Is there any chance for Nashville to catch up in the supporter shield race? I went real simple here with my analysis of these schedules, but, but I'll give you what I've got. Um, since he doesn't get to play consecutive home matches for the rest of the season, which I think matters, Nashville only gets to do that once though. So can't really give Nashville much of an advantage in that category. Um, I, I went gut check and. I just gave a, a few teams I thought were cup contenders and then thought, okay, how many of those does Nashville have to play versus Cincy? Nashville has six games against teams I would consider cup contenders, three at home, three on the road. Just for reference, Cincy, Philly, Seattle, New England, Columbus are, uh, are those teams. Um, and I say six because they have to play uh, Philly twice. Uh, Cincy has to play four games against uh, those teams, two of them at home. Uh, just based on that, since he has a somewhat lighter second half, if you went into more detail, though, you see there are some bottom feeders that since he still gets to play that Nashville's already played. Yeah, I looked at it. I, I didn't even think about the sequencing, like you mentioned, the home and road um, split there. But it is something to keep in mind that not only um, does since he have uh, no consecutive home games, um, like you mentioned, but they also have a U.S. Open Cup match that's going to add to a bit of an August grind as well. So that's something that's going to make it a little tougher. What's crazy to me is there are nine common games left. There, Each of these teams plays New England at home. Orlando at home, Charlotte at home, Red Bulls at home, and each of these teams travels to Columbus, Atlanta, Philadelphia, Montreal, and Miami. So if you look at the other teams that that these two squads play, Cincinnati hosts Toronto, Nashville, NYC, and Atlanta, travels to D.C., Charlotte, Red Bulls, and Toronto, whereas Nashville hosts uh, St. Louis, D.C., Philadelphia, and Seattle, and travels to Chicago, Cincinnati, SKC, and San Jose Earthquake. So, um, you know, it's just listing things, but <laughs> if you look at if you look at how good those teams are, and again, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the power ratings here. Um, all of the teams that Cincinnati hosts, except for New York City, are below average road teams. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's like a negative 0.21 in my power ratings. Um, and then Toronto is the only uh, above average uh, home team that that FC Cincinnati travels to. DC is terrible at home. Charlotte. Uh, is, is pretty bad everywhere <laughs> um, and, and Red Bulls are about average, but slightly below it. Whereas um, Nashville's playing against DC, who's a, a pretty good road team right now, surprisingly. Um, and Seattle uh, is, is unsurprisingly a pretty good road team. And then um, Nashville's trip to San Jose earthquakes is going to be really tough. Not just because it's a really long trip, but earthquakes are the second best home team in the entire league. And that's not in comparison to their road form. That's just kind of an absolute. They're the second best home team in the entire league. When you adjust their expected goals for the opponents that they've played. The bright side for Nashville is that the bad teams that they play are really bad. Chicago 
uh, SKC, absolutely terrible on the road. Philadelphia, weirdly not very good at home this year. I don't think it, maybe it's not that weird when you look at the table and see Philly has, has been way below what you expect out of a Philly team for a lot of the year. But mm-hmm. when you look at it, it does look like the path is much easier for Cincinnati, I guess, I guess is the uh, is the thousand foot view of all of that. Uh, when you when you kind of account for the fact that nine of the remaining opponents out of each team's uh, whatever nine plus eight is, is that 17 remaining games is, is going to be uh, a little bit more difficult for Nashville to, to, to take care of business. But both both aside from those nine games in common has four and four home and road. So it is something that it won't be because Cincinnati's at home more or less uh, than Nashville. That that kind of is a differentiator between their, their two schedules. And that's good news because Cincinnati has not dropped a single point at home this year. Nine wins and nine matches. Justin, I would say that you got more than you bargained for with that answer, but you know Tim well enough that you probably got exactly what you bargained for. Well, I, well, I did behind the curtain once more. West texted me and said, hey, are you ready to go? I said, hold on, I'm doing an inappropriate <laughs> level of research for one of our mailbag questions. I think we know which one it is. And then he said it'll be 15 more minutes. Like, oh, you're doing like like 10 to 13 minutes worth of research and then going to the bathroom. That's a lot of research. <laughs> um, that's pretty impressive. Uh, the ba- the bathroom is coming out of my mouth. No, it didn't work. Spewing crap out, whatever. Spewing crap out on the field is what Cincinnati <laughs> did for its first few seasons. So uh, that's okay. Last question from Christopher: Would Messi be Messi had he come up through MLS? How would it have affected his development and career trajectory? Hashtag Team Carolina Sweets. I love alternate histories, Tim. This one's a fun one. Uh, the fact of the matter is, MLS was not set up to be a place to develop a player like Messi. Yeah. And the model was not for them to for the league to do that for the first twenty years of probably of of this league. But I'll I'll let you run run with that and take it where you want uh, alternate history wise. Yeah, I mean it's obviously unanswerable um, because you, you maybe he just is that good that he would have turned out the exact same player no matter what. But I mean, or maybe he wouldn't be the messy that he is with any number of different factors. If he had a different sandwich the first day he showed up to La Messia and and had food poisoning or whatever, would he be the same player? Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that he went to La Masia before Barcelona went to trash, and I say that as a, as a Barcelona, a recovering Barcelona fan, perhaps, <laughs> but I mean, that was huge in his development. If he had gone uh, in the early 2000s to, to Major League Soccer, I mean, do you think the, the Kansas City whiz would have uh, <laughs> would have developed him the same way FC Barcelona did? I don't think that's probably the case, right? But uh, his skill his set might not have uh, been appreciated in, in the MLS of the early 2000s either when it was um, not necessarily a haven for five, seven guys who were, who were wizards, um, no pun intended, I guess, with the ball at their feet. But <laughs> uh, I, I think when you look at kind of what the answer or the question gets to is, can MLS play a role in developing somebody who eventually becomes the best player in the world? I think today it's not out of the question. Uh, if he came to the U.S. as an 18-year-old Argentine today, he'd probably have been uh, one of the best players in the league and, and off to Europe after an MVP season. A really, really, um, you know, Miguel Almiron on steroids sort of trajectory. Could uh, MLS play a role in the development of one of the best players ever to play? I think now they could. I don't think if a guy comes here, it's because he you project him to be the best player in the world, but it's possible. The only the only thing I, I can think of that would guarantee it is if Messi were to do something crazy, like sign with Inter Miami uh, sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> then then, then Inter, Inter Miami develops the best player in the world. Yes, they, they'll take full credit. Can't even say it with a straight face. But here's the question that I've got though: is you know if you have a player who is who has that much promise at, at a young age. What is it about MLS that's going to attract them to this league versus going to, you know, Barcelona or or somewhere like that? Well, of course that. Um, 
the, the plant-based scheme would be great for them. I think good energy before matches, but, but, you know, to me, it's either a player that is so good naturally that he's going to be visible and therefore have appeal to the biggest clubs in Europe Mm -hmm. or a player that MLS develops so well that he goes from an off the radar player to being, you know, eventually the best in in Europe, best in the world. I think that's a tough place to to say that MLS has the ability to do that or, or may ever have the ability to do that. But I think signing a Messi only increases the profile of this league and that that is the model. That is the ultimate dream aspiration of this league is to be the league that buys a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, brings them in, does exactly what you just said they do. And then you sell them with a massive profit. Good for the league financially, good for the exposure of the league. That is the new model versus the Messi model. uh, Now, I just wonder if that, if the best player in the world ever happens, because if they're, if they're that good, in say Argentina or elsewhere, they come up, they're going to be visible already to a Bayern, to a Barcelona, to a Madrid. Where's the incentive then for them to go to MLS? And I it's, yeah. it's a tough question. It's a great question from Christopher though. And I like your answer to it. I, I think that's certainly the goal, but we'll see if it ever happens. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think one thing to keep in mind is that if you're asking about Messi specifically, he had a lot of factors that were very different. He had on family in Spain and therefore a Spanish passport so he could move to La Masia at a younger mm-hmm. age. Nowadays, um, I think the way the very, very top teams in Power 5 leagues have have developed, um, they don't feel like they need to buy an 18-year-old from Argentina unless he's a sure thing. Something that's, that's honestly going to play in MLS's favor over the next few years is, uh, unlike a lot of clubs in, in um, Brazil or Argentina or, or even more so in, in Uruguay or, or Chile or some of the kind of middle tier uh, leagues in South America is you get a guaranteed paycheck and you can make a lot of money if, if you're really good in MLS. Uh, in, in those places, you aren't guaranteed a paycheck even if you sign a contract that says you're guaranteed a paycheck sometimes. So um, if, if guys need a stepping stone, if Liverpool isn't going to sign a guy, uh, I think MLS could have uh, an opportunity to sign a guy who does eventually turn into the best player in the world. But like you mentioned, somebody who uh, clubs in Europe are looking at and saying that is going to be the best player in the world. Uh, he's not He's not <laughs> taking his talents to South Beach to say the least. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful tie-in. Um, thanks for the questions, guys. This is a fun show, Tim. Um, congrats to Huntsville, by the way, with a great performance, an awesome team goal, by the way, uh, in their win on uh, on Sunday night. Anything else you want to chat about before we head out today? No, I just wanted to say uh, um, thank you to everybody for listening, like you just mentioned. And uh, I really appreciate everyone that has that has uh, supported Ben Cowherd's family and, and reached yeah. out with to to all the entire national soccer community, assembly, roadies. All these people uh, are in supporters groups with him, very close with him on uh, the drum corps, which obviously uh, um, extends across the entire back line. It's it's an absolute um, tragedy. That, that Ben lost his life this weekend, but um, it, it's a chance for the national soccer community to pull together and, and show the strength of the community too. We love you guys and to see the love that you've shown for him and for each other during this time and throughout the history of this club makes us remember regularly that uh, this is not just a game and that this is a family of, uh, of supporters. And so, uh, yeah, we're inspired to see that uh, as well. And we will uh, of course continue to be a part of that as well. Uh, thanks to each of you for listening. Thanks to ML Rose for the sponsorship, Moon Taxi for the music. Um, hop on and uh, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast medium of choice. Tell a friend about the show and give us each a follow on Twitter. Uh, we'll be back next week, and I'll be on my regular podcast microphone. Looking forward to that. 
Thanks to the 440 Sports Network, and we'll talk to you guys soon.